This is Van Jensen, and you are listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have the Master of Disaster, Josh45. What's shaking? Sitting in his lap, we have the Capitan. Meow, meow. And I'm CBS. Hi. So today we're going to be doing uh, episode number 150. And books we're going to be going over is uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunter number one from uh, Marvel Comics. Star Trek Year 5 number 14. This is from uh, IDW. Shang-Chi number one from Marvel. And we'll finish it up with, uh, Tales from the Dark Universe, sorry, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Batman Hush number one. Uh, one of those, uh, Dark Universe tales. I was gonna suggest doing, like, the top five, like, political American comic books tonight as a thing, since we're recording this in election night. But I think most of the listeners are probably in the same boat as you, me, and we're just ready for this to be over with. Sure. Yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> so, that is understandable so we're just going to go along with just making another normal episode where we're just hey enjoy life and let's just uh, think about something better figure the uh, art and writing and books and stories and maybe 175 will do something special 150 is they just print it with more pictures more ads it's fine <laughs> more ads speaking of ads hey man we're doing this ad for a super cool sponsor me honey contest honey yeah man honey is the free internet browser extension that automatically finds tests and applies the best coupon codes when you shop online at checkout it does all the hard work for you did you just call me honey glad you asked you and our listeners should go online to joinhoney.com backslash best honey ad to download honey on your laptop or computer i use it for your birthday present my birthday what month is it I'm an early shopper. I use it for Christmas, too. Wait, it's Christmas? Doesn't matter. I got it with a discount. You should get honey today. Seriously, quit calling me honey. All right, I want to get the show started. Do uh, you got any news over there, Josh? Man, I don't have any news tonight. It was like just really, they're even bringing up old news on even the movie websites. They're like, oh, people in the Navy get fined if they bring up... And Top Gun, if they quote Top Gun the movie, it's like we've, we've already known that. Yeah. yeah, it just, I mean, it's like a slow, I think it's just everything else going on, it's just like kind of slow. Sure. Well, as far as like stuff in the world, I mean, we, I mean, we did have one sad bit of news. I mean, if you don't already know, uh, Sean Connery passed away on Halloween on the 31st. Um, so that's, that's an unfortunate state of affairs, but the man was nine years old, had an awesome life. Um, I was reading a bunch of quotes from people, and one of the ones from uh, Harrison Ford said that uh, he was my father in Indiana Jones Three. Because in people, you never really, you never really lived until you've driven a sight like a, motor, a motorcycle with a sidecar, shaking Sean Connery around next to you, and he's boy, we had some fun. If he's in heaven, I hope they have golf courses, because man, love to play golf. That is a loose, loose quote because I don't have it written in front of me, but that's mostly what was in there. Now do it in Harrison Ford's voice and it'll be fine. It's for you in your own head. But the dragons do know. Right? Yeah, then there's, there's other quotes from other people. There's other celebrity types too, but I thought that one was really good. I'm like, 
he did love playing golf, so there's that, but yeah, awesome dude. So there's that bit of news. Um, other than that, I mean, Peach Momoko made a, some type of deal with Marvel, so I guess sometime mid-next year we'll stop seeing covers from her from other companies, but all the ones that were previously negotiated and done are still going to come out, so there'll still be like a few from Boom and whoever else she did stuff for, so... Cover-wise, after we get past that, I mean, sometime next year is when they'll stop being coverage from uh, other companies by her. So if you follow her art, I mean, all is not lost yet. Um, so that's something. Um, other than that, I mean, DC made an announcement that uh, looks like March twenty March 2021, after we get past the Future Shock, is where we'll see what the DC Universe aligns to, and it... It looks very like maybe they're throwing continuity out the window and moving forward with this whole DC Omniverse idea. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, apparently they don't realize comic book readers, we like our stories because they're like our friends. <laughs> so I guess we'll see how that goes, but I think there's a place and time for that. It's called Elseworlds. Right. So I'll bring back Elseworlds, y'all. Maybe that's your answer. You got these newer writers that can't do anything with regular characters because they don't want to have to go back and read or look at the highlights or, I don't know, check continuity. That's why you have editors, right? So ask your editor, and the editor goes and finds that out, and they tell you whether you can do that or not. If you can't write stories that way, then maybe you need to work someplace else. And maybe if you're, at this point, like, why are they even a comic book writer if they're not interested in the, the, the history at all? Right, that's what I'm saying. Make something new, y'all. So make something new yourself. If you can't do that, you're just making fan fiction. And I hate fan fiction. So, there's that. Um, but that's, yeah, it's all I really had for news, so not a whole whole lot of crazy crazy, so I guess that's good and bad, whatever. You want to move into books, then? Yeah, man. All right. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. And open up with the, uh, the Bounty Hunters, uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number one. This is the uh, Galaxy's Deadliest, Part 1. Uh, this guy is written by Ethan Sachs, and the uh, art on it's by uh, Paolo Villanetti. This guy, when we first start off, we're dealing with a whole batch of different characters, and some you should be familiar with in movies, and some that you probably won't. Uh, when the book first opens up, we're in the process of a, a job going down, and we're in the uh, Carillion outskirts. And we've got a group of guys staying up on a balcony looking through uh, a pair of binoculars and all ready to attack and trying to figure out uh, what the next step in their mission should be. And as they're executing particular parts of what's going on, we find out they're also connected to Bosk, who's already out taking part of his group down. So like, he's out there taking out one of, this, one of the uh, people that are there trying to... What is it called when you're trying to take care of sentries? That's what they are. So they're trying to take the sentries out. And uh, Bosk has taken out his, and of course he reports back. And then we join uh, another group of three. We've got a Twi'lek, who's uh, the head of that group. And the uh, the Twi'lek is uh, is Lash, Nascano, Nascano Lash. And uh, Lash winds up shooting some dude through the face. Um, as one of them is getting, well, there's one that's getting away from the group. So Bosk kills one, and one of the other ones is getting away. And of course Lash is the one that shoots that one. And then from there, we join Boba Fett. <laughs> it's a real show that we're there to see anyway. And uh, 
his group is currently under attack because Boba Fett doesn't wait for anybody. He just goes. And so he's in there taking dudes out right and left. And, uh, we wanted having one of the members get, sh- get hit in the face with part of a, part of one of his rocket, rocket tether launchers. And, uh, from there, Valance, who is the other main character, jumps from behind him and he's like, you, we're exposed. We're supposed to be doing this discreet. He goes, and Valance gets trapped behind the dude and he's like, take him out. Take, take him out. And of course the dude winds up shooting Valance in the face. And Valance has got a batch of like hand blasters in his hands. So he shoots like projectile blasts out of there, lasers. And the dude shoots him in the face. And after Valance gets up, we see the other side of his face is currently ripped off. And he is basically a Terminator. So if you haven't ever seen him before, he did originally show up back in the old Marvel comics uh, from the 70s run. And yeah, he looks like the Terminator. So half his face is ripped off, and he's super pissed. And he asks Fett why you didn't take him out. And he says, well, that's why I went without you. You just get in the way and slow me down. And so, like, clearly there's already a rub between him and Fett. And uh, from there we flash back over to Lash's group. And Lash's group storms inside. And, like, as it busts into the room, the guy the guy that's with Lash, the one they're there working for, is Calmus. And he's got these two crazy, like... I don't know, they're just regular hair, but they hang real long in the front, very gambit-like, and the rest seems to be shaved. Bangs. Yeah, like long bangs. And he, like, dashes around past Lash, and, like, pulls out his gun, and he's like, they can't be allowed to live! And Lash says, no! And he's like, she's like, wait! We don't ever see what's in the room, but it causes Lash to full-on blast him. Like, she kills she kills him dead. So Boba Fett and Valance, they never see what's in the room, because they're not there. I mean, the only ones that are really there is Lash, the dude, the gangster's kid, and then two other guys. So, like, nobody else's namesake-wise is even there when it happens. So, whatever it was, clearly Lash didn't want them to kill him, kill it, and they knew who, they knew who was coming for him, because they're the ones that call his name. So, like, that's, that's interesting. And then the other group, People in the party are like, uh, we gotta go. That's, that's the person we were working for, his kid. Like, we can't, we can't be here. This is, like, we gotta go. So they radio Boba Fett and, uh, and Valance. And they're like, yeah, we gotta get out of here. This job's blown. Like, Lash ruined it for everybody. After she kills him, both Boba Fett and Valance are both, like, not super happy with Lash. And they're also not happy with each other, of course. And Boba Fett's like, yeah, I'm out. This is, You've ruined this contract. There's going to be a price on your head now because you killed the son. And Valance has basically the same feelings about it. But we cut from there to modern time, to where we're at the current place in time. This is the uh, Black Spyro Outpost. And uh, Valance is in the process of getting shot at. And of course his face is still half Terminator, so he never got it fixed. Or it's been damaged again. And he's in the process of hunting down another batch of, like, gangster types, and these guys, I don't know what race they are, but they're the ones that look like the devil. Like, they have the horns, they have, like, tiny horns, and they're all red. But I don't know what race they are. And he's after one particular one, of course he's got a pack of thugs with him, and they're in the process of trying to kill Valance, and the whole time he's, this is happening, he's getting fed information from a robot on his ship, and the robot's, like, tracking where the one they need not to kill is at, He's like, I can kill the rest of them, right? And the robot's like, it's worth more money if you don't. He's like, we only need one, right? And so he takes out the other guys. They're called Deveronians. Deveronians, okay. It says it in there. Like, 
I think, yeah, we run into it at one point because he uses that against him because Deveronians were very territorial and very pack-centric. So the fact that he killed his friends, even though that one starts getting away, he knows he's going to come back because of revenge. And uh, Valens winds up seeing him actually still like a like a hover scooter and take off. And the robot's like, ah, oh, great, you blew it. He's like, no, no, he's coming back. His honor depends on it. And so the dude does flip around the car and try to run Valens, well, car, speeder, and try to run Valens down. Um, in the process of that, of course, Valens pulls his giant antenna down, smashes the bike, sends the dude flying, and uh, he's like, yep, he's alive at least. He's not in good condition, but he's alive. And the robot's like, well, well at least we'll get some of the money. So he basically collected his bounty, and uh, fr from there we join another member of the party. So we flash from there to the moon of Lo Logan Rye, and we meet these two off-worlder characters, one of which has got a purple mohawk, and uh, she's calling to Toga not to leave. And Toga's a younger one, short hair, and uh, Toga and Losh are the two people. Losh is the one with the mohawk, and Toga is the one with, I don't know, normal brown hair, I guess. And Toga's decided she needs to go, because they've learned after the intercept of the transmission that uh, who she's hunting for is on another planet that she's got to go take them out in order to keep the two of them safe, because they've been hiding. Well, they're all after the same person. They're all after Lash. And, like, from there, we join Bosk, who's sitting in the Karelian Cantina. And Lash actually runs into Dr. Afra, so she makes a cameo in here. And, uh, of course, Bosk has a problem with her uh, Wookiee companion, because he claims he owes his money, and that turns into, like, a battle for a second. It was really kind of cool, because, like, basically Bosk's trying to fight a giant Wookiee. And he gets the upper hand. I think he just hates Wookiees, and he wants a Wookiee hide is all it is. Well, he does want the Wookiee hide, but I thought he said something about money, too. Maybe it was money Because Wookiee hides are worth money to the Empire. That's what it was. So, like, it's a pretty good fight, and Bosk winds up getting him down on the ground, he's got his knife above his blade, and he's like, I always want to get me a Wookiee. Always. And then from there, Afra tells him it's not a good idea, and informs him that she picked his pocket and stole his gun when she walked past him, and uh, if he really wants to get out of it alive, he needs to let the Wookiee go. Because she owes him money. Because she owes the, the Wookiee money. And she needs it for the next job she's going to be on. So basically she shakes down Bosk to leave the Wookiee alone. From there, we wind up joining, um, they don't say this dude's name, but he's a lot like the guy on Lando's ship with the, uh, or on Lando's Cloud City, the dude with the the gears on his head. Yeah, like the, the calm stuff. Yeah, they, this one's not the same one, but I, they don't say his name in here at all. He's basically like a controller feeding information to a bunch of different people. And uh, he's located outside the uh, the beautiful space boundaries. And uh, his motto is, dead or alive. Lobot. Yeah, Lobot's the one on from Lando's, from Lando's uh, Cloud City. So he's he's like a Lobot, but he's not. Yeah, they're just cyborgs. They're AJ6 cyborg construct, I guess. Right. The piece on their heads feeds some information. Lobot was supposed to be so from... From Cloud City, Lobot escaped the Imperials, but he was being used as like a uh, tacticianer during battles. That's the programming in their head, the, all the computer parts. Mm. That's what they're used for. Uh, but yeah, so we're we're joining join him, and the motto of their group is uh, "Dead or alive, doesn't matter to us." And he's letting Valance know that um, Lash has showed back up, and uh, he tells him he's not interested. And he's like, well, you should be. They ruined the job and they owe you money. And there's a lot of money on her head. 
He's like, yep, not interested. And he's, he, from there, we wind up seeing that he's currently being shaken down by a dude that works for him. I don't know if they ever say what this guy is or not. But he kind of has like a, I don't know, like Vader's face, but not black. And then crazy hair. And he's like, I told you give me the contract. I want the contract. So he's, he's another bounty hunter that just wants to get in the game. And the dude's like, fine, fine, you can take the contract. He's like, but I'm going to hedge my bets. And he calls Boba Fett after that. And he tells Boba Fett who it is, and Boba Fett initially tells him that he's not interested. At, like, well, he doesn't tell him the name. He tells him he's got a job for him, and Fett's like, nope, well, he I'm goes, good. I know you normally work for the Fets, but like... Or for the Huts. For the Huts, but I think that you, you'd be interested in this one. And he's like, oh, all right, whatever. And then he tells him who it is, and he's like, you don't even have to, I don't even want the money. Yep, I'll do it for free. He doesn't say that, but that's basically what he implies. I'm pretty much, I think he does say that. He says he doesn't want the money, yeah. yeah. And then he uh, closes his comm, and we turn around and see behind him in his uh, hull is Han Solo and Carbonite. So it tells us this takes place between the end of Empire and the, uh, or well, him leaving Cloud City in Empire, and before we find him in Return of the Jedi. So this is taking place towards the end of Empire. But yeah, like, it's a pretty cool tie-in. Art's great. Story, it reads really fun. I mean, that's a pretty brief... It's a lot of action. Like, there's a lot of action. But as far as, like, a story, I mean, I liked it a lot. I do like Valance, even though it looks like the Terminator. I think that's awesome. Um, like Boba Fett, of course. I think it's cool that Dr. Afro cameoed. I think that's really cool. Uh, Score-wise, I mean, I give it a four, man. I love Star Wars. Like, I thought it was a pretty fun read. We get a lot of characters, a lot of stuff happens, and like, action-adventure style, I think it's freaking awesome. So, I'm pretty stoked to get into the rest of it. I mean, at this point, issue six just dropped maybe a couple weeks ago, so, this guy's a little older comparatively, but as a thing, it's already in third print, and probably heading to a fourth, because it's pretty popular. Well, Josh, what do you know about Bounty Hunter? I don't know, it was good and very action-packed, um... You know, sometimes the art's a little muddy in parts, so it's kind of hard to, like, to see kind of what's going on. A lot of explosions and this and that. I don't know. But other than that, I mean, it's it's a cool story. I'm kind of curious to see who's in the room. Right. Um, you know, I can make a bunch of guesses. Like, they obviously know. Like, they go, they asked, like, you know, like, they're curious, like, what, like, these, they knew Comus was. Right. Yeah, that's the one who calls his name whenever. And it's like a question mark, like, they're, like, Comus? And if, you know. She obviously, it was like a moral dilemma enough for her to shoot him. Right. And like, nah, we're not doing this. So, I don't know. It's interesting. We'll see where it goes. Like, it's cool that it takes place in between. It's cool to see Dr. Afra. I'm sure Dr. Afra will actually be in this more, I would assume. It doesn't seem like that they end that. Oh, the whole confrontation with Bosk. Yeah, I don't know, because like, she has her own book going on at the same time, too. And I don't think that I've seen that one tie in, but as well, a thing. But they're all, t- they're talking about the same bounty. Right. So, like. Dr. Dr. Afro is, so, like, I think they're going to be a part of this, too. Well, it'd be cool if we see him show up some more. I mean, as a thing, fitting her in the universe around other characters is really cool. But, um, yeah, I don't know, I'll get, like, a three and a half. Cool. Um, all right, we'll move on to some Star Trek. This is, uh, Star Trek Year 5, number 14. So the writers are Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, and the arts, uh, Angel Hernandez. Yep. Um, this book's interesting because 
there's a lot of um, Klingon names in this. Oh, yeah. This so, particular issue has a lot of them. It's real hard to kind of... So it starts off with uh, Kirk is in some throne room um, on some Klingon sh- warship, and um, they're talking to him about the Red Path of, of Collis. That's weirdly. Sounds what, like kind of the same, but... but uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's not the guy that got shot before. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a, a Klingon... Um, well, it's like a trial base. Like if you it, make it through the trial, it's, you... it's well, it's, yeah, it's basically that and an execution, but it's right. to, it's to get your to get your honor back, and uh, and they're talking about um, you you know to pass through it, you have to go through this gauntlet. So he has to go. He he goes up against um, first two people, um, a female and a male, um, and he has to get through them, and. He fights back a little bit, but he like he kind of just kind of all he has to do is run through. He doesn't really have to like stop and beat them. But once he's through, he goes through a different part. And, like you're never gonna make it through the endless pain of the burning corridor. And uh, so once he goes in there, he takes um, death or pain sticks or something like that, and it kind of makes him hallucinate and go through a bunch of different um, memories and things like that. And Basically, it makes him start questioning himself and things, and he like basically he, he beats him like he beats himself and runs through this these flames, these horrible flames, like they burn him pretty bad. And as he comes out on the other side, he uh, there's a another Klingon who seems to be the I don't know what you call the like the captain of the group, captain of he's of, the ones in charge of the rest of them. People are gonna slaughter us for not knowing the name of like what they call like the leader, the leader of a Klingon warship, like um, the yeah. Anyway, and then it's on to a uh, enterprise or not enterprise ship, a uh, Federation ship, and um, there's Animal Croxy, and he's he's kind of watching what's going on. So there's the Attorney General, it's a woman, and she's talking to um, an admiral about getting Kirk off there, and he's like. He's like, it's it's the Klingon honor priest to be honorable, and he knows, like, supposedly knows what's going on, and she's like, no, like, that's this isn't okay, we have to figure this out. And then... He's um, like, Kirk volunteered. Yeah, like he, and this whole time he's in his own head talking about how, like, he, he's trying to... He's basically admitting that he is cre- committing treason, but, like, allowing to go on what's going on. Right. And you don't quite know what's going on at first, but then he walks into a room, and uh, Spock and... Bones are in there. Well, he's got them, like, they're in there, like, connected to chairs. So they're not just, like, hanging out. Like, he's got them held against their will. Yeah, they're, they're trapped. He basically starts shaking them down for what he, they know about what he's been doing. Right. You might as well tell me what you already know so get, get, to get that out of the way. And, like, as we go through, we find out, like, he's been experimenting on people. And these people that go missing, well, the whole reason they're... To in try the- to cure every disease or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So he's trying. He's not just doing it for, like, weird science stuff. I mean, it is weird science, but he he has a mission that's kind of noble in a bad kind of way. But, like, part of the reason this whole battle's going on, the Klingon ship, is that they've got a, like, a nuclear warhead or something. Some that sort, gonna, yeah, some sort of warhead that they're going to use kill against a whole the ship. bunch of people, yeah. And, like... And after, and, they, after they get him to admit it, that's when Spock finally breaks free and grabs him and smashes his head. And, like, um, pretty much, it, you know, uses his Spock powers. Right. Well, like, a, another guard runs in, and he's like, do you really want to serve this dude? You know what he's doing is wrong. He's like, um... He's like, your boss is a traitor, and you better be careful with your next your next choice. He's like, how oh, can I help? He's like, take <laughs> us to Attorney General Shaw. Right. And so then it goes to Spock is, or Kirk is fighting the uh, the 
Klingon priest guy, whatever right. he is, and you know, and he's just like he's the whole time. There's this inner dialogue with Kirk, and he's talking about like how his brother took his son for granted, kind of like being alive, and didn't ever take into consideration of him dying and leaving his son without a dad. And he's like, I should know better, shouldn't I? As he's fighting this Klingon warlord guy, well, you yeah. know. Sam, like you were saying, Sam, it's Sam's Kirk's brother. It's like George Samuel Kirk is what his name is. So, like, yeah. Interesting reference back to that, because this is before, because this is year five of Star Trek. So this is before he even knows about the Genesis thing or his son or anything. It's probably even before he, the son happened. Kirk's son. Right. But, uh, so he, start, he starts talking to this guy about... Uh, Stovo- Stovokor, which is like after you get your honor back and die, it's like basically Klingon heaven kind of thing. He's like, but you're not Klingon. He's just like, well, but supposedly I'm supposed to get let in, and I'm the only human that's done this, so obviously, like, I might go there. And like, it's just, he's like, you know, I don't even really believe in honor anyway. He's like, I just say the words, and uh, yeah, that's what the Klingon tells him. So he's not like as an honor priest, he's not honorable at all, right? And so right as the guy has the blade to his face and punching him, he's just getting ready to cut him, and Kirk does the thing where he slaps, like, grabs the blade with both hands on each side, and it's like he's getting inching closer, inching closer, and they finally are able to, like, get a lock on him, because they're on a newer ship with a stronger, um, you know, transporter beam, transporter mm-hmm. that, they, that they transport it back on, and he's beat up pretty bad, and uh, Bones is like, come on, man, we gotta get you the medical, he's like, ah, first of all, take me to the Attorney General, and uh, he's like, this is what we need to do, call their bluff, start shooting all these directions, and like, mess up their, disrupt their fields and stuff. He's like, he's not, he doesn't have the honor. They're not going to do what they normally do. This guy isn't the same. He's like, not all Klingons are the same. Yeah, she, he basically tells her to use the other ships to call his bluff. He won't fire on all these people. Which is what the other, the other captain, the, the guy Spock knocked out, he wanted him to detonate the device because it would kill a bunch of people. And then all the missing bodies that he's been using, all the people he's been doing his experiments on, they would just ride off in the missing from the explosion. So he's trying to cover his own tracks and causing all of it to be okay to happen so he could cover himself up. But um, at the end of it, they're talking about how who, who should be running for president. And Kirk pretty much gives the attorney general, he's like, gives him her, his, you know, his support. His endorsement. Because like, okay. she was doing the right thing the whole time, I right. guess. And then they're back on their ship, the Enterprise, and you know, Kirk's healing up and everything. And they get like a... They get like a call saying, "Hey, there's a an anomalous readings from a region of space that's been long re- registered as empty as an exploration vessel. Our mission perimeters encourage us to divert for." And he's like, "No, Mister Fuck, we're we're home. That's someone else's job now." Like, but who's say who's to say that they're not they're going to do it right? And then Kirk's like, "In the end, it's like I said, I've been thinking about Sam." So, so Kirk kind of one he's wanting to close the mission down. He's wanting this to be the end. They're back at Earth. He's wanting to take a break. Which I don't know how long this series is scheduled to run, but in the five-year period, so the original concept, you were there on his five-year voyage in space, right? And the TV series had the two seasons? No, three seasons? Two or three seasons. Yeah, three, I think. And there was the animated season. So this is, yeah, so which so would this count is as the four, fifth, so this would be, yeah, This is the fifth season, which at the end, you see that um, Chekhov's not there, but the uh, yellow-faced alien dude is, because in the cartoon series, even though Chekhov, the actor, mm. wrote a bunch of those episodes, his character wasn't on the show at all. Right. He was replaced by that guy. So, like, timing-wise, it's interesting that that dude's, you know, that, that's how they played it. They show that guy at all. 
But yeah, um, yeah, score for that book, Josh. I, I give it like a, you know, like a two and a half. Like the art's kind of funky on it with me, and usually I'm like all about the writing and stuff. But it was, I had to like go back and reread and watch because I was kind of confused what was going on. You know, like and obviously this is an issue one, so it's kind of we're in mission already. And I'm, like, sh- I'm sure that it all kind of makes sense, but it just like I was, it was just kind of even with the art was kind of not telling enough for me. But I mean, it was good. Like I'm sure like. Before and after and what's going on, or might ha- might change my mind a little bit bringing the score up, but you know, I was just kind of, I was kind of disappointed in the art and the flow of the book itself. It was kind of funky because like I didn't, I mean, even then I didn't notice. I had to really look to see that their their wrists were strapped down, stuff like that, and it wasn't. I mean, I was, but I mean, yeah, again, it's about two and a half. Okay, what about you, man? Yeah, I I, I follow suit. I give it two and a half. Like I I I don't mind the art so much. I think the art's okay. It is hard when you're dealing with characters that are TV show characters because you want to try to be as close as you can to the actors, you know what I mean? So, like, part of that, I think, is would be rougher on the artists in general. I mean, Star Wars has been doing it for a while, but even this book, all the characters in that book, save for Bosk and Boba Fett, which is a mask, are not face characters, so you don't have to make them match exactly, but... As far as, like, a thing, it does make more sense if you read the previous issue, because the previous issue sort of sets it up. Right. So, it, it starts very in mission already. I just think that, like, the flow of the story and the art was kind of, like... Well, when he, when he gets all... When he's trying to go through the fire part, like, yeah. the flashbacks, it's a little weird when they start happening. It was kind of funky, and, I mean, and it's and, and I do think it's written it's it's written and geared towards people who are super huge Trekkies. Like, it's... I think it's a lot of stuff that happened in the original series, things like that, like... You know, I, th- I, th- I think that's a huge part of it as well. It's not, it, which is great. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't dislike it. I'm just not, I'm not super in the know. Sure. It's not my area of expertise. Well, there's definitely things both of us didn't know about Star Trek yeah. from this particular book that were discovered after looking up who characters were. So, I mean, that's, as much as I like Star Trek, because I do, right. I, I'm still follow more on the, I know more about Star Wars, about Generation. So, like, original Star Trek, I think is great. Right. But I never paid attention much past the shows. So all the other books and the cartoon, surprisingly, because of our buddy Craig, I've seen a lot of that cartoon. Right. So, like, as as a thing, it, it does help if you're more about the original series and have seen a lot of that. Right. But, yeah, I give it two and a half also. Um, series has been good. I mean, as far as a thing, if you love old school Trek, I mean, doing this bar- fits. I've been doing varying covers for each, each book. To, like, oh, yeah. Covers, they've, done, so. they've done A and Bs for... Half the series, the most of their Bs are one in tens though, so it makes it a lot harder to get the uh, variants. So they're they're more chasey, um, but the A covers have been pretty good. I mean, this one's basically got Kirk's face reflected. Actually, there's an image at the very end of it that has it as well, without the tiling all over it. But it's like his face looking into the uh, to the blade while it's coming down at him while he's holding it. So it's pretty cool. It's a cool cover. Well, both the uh, Trek and the Wars put to bed. Let's go ahead and move on to the. Uh, the Shang-Chi number one, Marvel. Uh, this guy is written by uh, Jane Loon Yang. And uh, art is by uh, Dyke Ron and Philip Tan. And uh, this guy, there was talk they were supposed to be getting like, a, a Shang-Chi movie at some point. So I guess we'll see if that still happens. I mean, with the world of COVID, who knows what's going on. But as a thing, um, he's an old school character, you know, kind of kung fu-like, if that makes any sense. Uh, when the book first starts out, uh, we, we stop, start out back in the early uh, Ying Dynasty. So we're back in time. 
And when the process of finding out that the Emperor has outlawed any type of kung fu, any type of weaponry, out of fear, of course, his own demise. And so if you practice any type of weaponry, you are automatically deemed as a terrorist to the state or whatever. And so he's collected five um, brothers and uh, is getting ready to put them to death. And the executioner is there and the one brother tells him, oh, we're, we're here to talk to you about your where you built your temple. Like, Have you looked where you built it? And the guy's like, it doesn't matter. He tells the executioner to go and kill him. And so they're all there on their knees, chained up. And as the executioner raises his, his, his sword, the one brother says, we came out here for this. And the other one's like, our master's always taught us to worry about others before ourselves. And about that time, we hear someone off, off screen say, governor. And we turn to see two of the uh, sorcerer types. Uh, the, uh, the sorcerer brothers is who they are. Master uh, Zing, Zing Yun and Master Zun Ya. Yi, Zun Yi, excuse me, Zun Yi. And I'm sure these names are going to be rough on me, so sorry about that. Um, and he's like, the deadly warriors! And, uh, the, one yells to the boys to take their weapons, and magically their swords, uh, staffs, sticks, the different, uh, weapons appear. One has a hammer. So it's the different clans. Um, but they're, all their weapons appear, and one of the magicians takes the executioner's sword and wraps it around his neck, and is in the process of basically choking him to death with his sword, and the other brother tells him, hey, we, you shouldn't kill him, he was just doing his job. He, he didn't want to kill anybody, he was just, he's an executioner, his executioner's job is to be the executioner. And so he's like, oh, I guess we shouldn't kill him, and he leaves the guy bl all bloodied up and slings the sword away, and uh, they start talking to the governor, and they say, you didn't look at the dragon lines whenever you built your temple, did you? And uh, he's like, I'll get you, you I'll get your hob heads for this. He's like, ah, yeah, we're going to have to deal with that first. And from behind, all of a sudden, here's Fing Fang Foom. Because apparently they built their temple in an area that uh, is where the dragons sleep. So, uh, bad planning? And the brothers tell the the uh, the five to defend the city, and at, they all jump into action to take out Fing Fang Foom. Which, I mean, if you know who Fing Fang Foom is, you know that he, they obviously didn't kill him. But uh, Then we progress over time, and we talk about how after the battle, the uh, the five clans continue to work together, and one, the one leader of the two brothers, the Magic Brothers, one passed away, and the other one, shortly afterwards, figured out a cure for aging, or like a spell to keep you young. And even though they helped a whole lot, the country would not submit to his rule. He wanted to be their ruler. Uh, but this, the country wasn't willing to submit to that, and then eventually... He uh, wound up being killed by one of his students, his favorite student, um, which is Shang, Shang Chi. Shang Chi wound up having to put him down because he wasn't willing to release power and wanted ill gains for the world. So Shang Chi basically wound up killing him. And uh, that sent the clans away. Ultimately, he turned the clan, instead of being like a noble cause, it turned into more like a drug running criminal organization, is what they became. And until Shang Chi, of course, puts him down, and then. Best of Shang Chi's belief, the different families all went their separate ways. Which, I mean, of course, you know that's not true. That's not how things work. But Shang Chi eventually came to the U.S. Um, we jump forward in time, and we wind up joining the House of the Deadly Staff, which is one of the families. So we have Hammer Staff, Dagger Fist. Oh, I think in can't remember what the other one is. Blade, maybe. 
I don't remember. It'll come back to me. Anyway, so uh, we've entered the, de- the House of the Deadly Staff, and uh, they're all in the process of praying to the shrine of the late great master, uh, Zin Yu, who's the, who's the guy Shang-Chi killed. And uh, he tells them all, oh, we have to honor our, honor our, the legacy of our late master. And uh, from the side, we start seeing this clapping sound, and we turn to find that uh, Sister Hammer is uh, up in the rafters looking down on them clapping. And uh, as it turns out, part of the shrine has a giant compass or a dial on it, and it has one area for each of the different um, elements, so staff, sword, hammer, fist, and uh, it highlights one of them in the uh, place of who's in charge. At this point, the deadly staff has been in charge of the families apparently for the last few generations or years or whatever, and uh, Sister Hammer's never been happy about that. And she drops down, she informs them that uh, they'll need to leave the room. It's time for her and her brother to have a have a talk. And that turns, of course, into the two of them battling. And in the fight, I mean, he almost kills her, but she definitely is the one in charge of what's going on. And she winds up stabbing him in the side and uh, destroying a few of his organs when she did it. And uh, as he lays there dying, he, he laughs and he says, Father, never choose you. And so it turns out that the compass on the wall that has the different elements apparently is being orchestrated by the father's spirit. And it's who puts whoever in charge of the families. And as you see it turn, it lands, of course, on the fist. And he's like, ha, see, even in death, father doesn't choose you. And it makes her super, super pissed. And she turns and finishes him off with her hammer. Um, a giant crush sound effect uh, indicating his head was smashed. And she turns to the... Uh, she turns the uh, the shrine on the wall and she yells at it and tells her that she's going to take and remake the world in her own image and she doesn't care what the thing says. And about that time, a few of the staff members, the uh, staff clan, the ones that she sent out of the room, all come back in and they're like, oh, master, master. And she's like, ah, I'm your master now. Swear your allegiance to me. And the one guy looks at it and says, but it picked the hand. The compass picked the hand. And she like smashes him in the face. And the next guy's like, oh, I, I serve. I, I serve. It's it's fine. And so she goes out and she announces to all the people in the courtyard that she's a new leader of their group and she's going to be the one in charge. And uh, she takes upon herself to send a batch of them to America to take care of Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi would be the fist. Even though he was never part of the whole, like, family organization part of things, that's the part that he falls into because he doesn't use a weapon like everyone else uses his hands. So we fast forward and we jump to San Francisco, and then we jump to Chinatown, and it turns out that Ching chi has found himself a job working in the kitchen uh, for a grandma, not his grandma, but a grandma lady, preparing food, and she has told him this is the busiest part of the year and busiest part of the day, and he said he didn't really believe her, but he couldn't hardly believe it as he's tying all these bows and putting all these buns and all his food into different packages for people, and there's a constant crazy lunch rush, and all the people are super impressed because he moves so fast, and he's just so quick with everything. And after he tosses all the people their food, like, I don't know, crazy diner delivery style, um, Grandma's like, oh, your muscles are for more than just looking pretty. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I appreciate, you know, giving me the job to help out and, and do things. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to go in the back. And he, like, flirts with the old lady a little bit. He's like, oh, you know, these guns are really for you. And she's like, oh, it makes me feel special. I know it's a lie. Like, you know, very, it's funny. It's, it's written really cute. Anyway, 
Um, so she tells him to go ahead and stay in the front window, make sure it keeps flexing his arms so he can bring those people in from, from his healthy, uh, his healthy superhero persona. And, uh, about that time, a lady comes in the door, and, uh, she's a pretty normal lady, and, like, all the time that we're going to the book, we get a lot of his, uh, introspection of the world. It's like his inner monologue. And he's like, what he likes about her most is how normal she is, because every time he meets a pretty lady, she's usually got a knife or a gun in his face. <laughs> which is <laughs> pretty hilarious, but true. And, uh, he finds out this is, uh, this is the grand- grandmother's, um, niece. And she's, uh, she's like a, a lawyer, accountant type person, I guess, or a lawyer. They say she's a lawyer, but she's there to see grandma to help her with something, which they don't tell us what she's really there for, but Shang-Chi knows that grandma's have been having a hard time in the, keeping the store open, and him having the room and working for free to pay for his room and board is how that works. And, like, while he's thinking to himself, like, what he's done for jobs, I mean, he's been part of the, uh, he's been part of a bunch of different groups, and she actually asks him about that. She's like, oh, so is it really true that you were an Avenger and like, part of the Heroes for Hire? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm an act man of action. She goes, and you were a spy for MI6? And he's like, uh, yeah, I used to be a spy in London. And she's like, uh, and now you, uh, make, uh, make rice rolls. And he's like, oh, well, your mom gave me the job to pay for my room. And he thinks to himself, like, I can never have a normal job, can I? Because all he's ever done is been a spy and, like, an awesome, a, there's, like, an awesome superhero guy. And anyway, Grandma comes out and she's like, Oh, come help me in the back. It's really nice. You finally come to visit. You never come to visit. And she uh, leaves him his, her phone number when she leave, when she walks past. And she says, I told you to come down and get his autograph, not not to try to date him. And the two of them go into the back room, and he notices himself across the street. There's a lady on top of a roof, moving very quickly with a gun attached to her leg. He's like, oh, hopefully this isn't trouble for me. And so he leaves out the front door, catches her up on top of the building, and of course she pulls a gun on him. And she starts out with, uh, what's on your mind, my love? And we wind up finding out this is, uh, Lee Ku Wu, who's, uh, like a secret, another British secret agent. And he, his, his inner monologue says, ah, pretty lady with a gun on my face. And of course he takes the gun away from her really quick, and she's like, ah, there you are, okay. I have to warn you about something, something bad's coming. And so she asks him if there's a place he can talk. So he takes her back to his room at, above Grandma's, uh, restaurant or a deli it gets more like a deli and uh while they're in his apartment she uh they give us a lot of translation of them speaking different languages so she speaks very poor chinese but he speaks they actually talk about it for a second she asks him why he talks the way he talks and he's like well if i talk very wise and use what sounds like philosopher type words people pay attention to me they don't just look past me so i talk weird because it makes me sound smarter is basically what he's what he's saying He's like, your Chinese is terrible, so just talk in English. And, like, she informs him that MI6 has been tracking a batch of, uh, his father's old, um, clan doing things. He's like, ah, they're, they're all disbanded. That's not a thing anymore. She's like, well, they're after you. And he's like, what? And about that time, the windows get smashed in, and a couple of the guys in the green kimonos from the stick clan smash through the window. The two of them fight him and take, take two of them down. But next thing you know, the room's full of them. And there's two of them in the middle that basically just start talking to him. And they're like, are you, are you Shang-Chi? And he's like, yeah, that's who I am. She's like, see, this is who we're supposed to be looking for. I thought I'd be taller. One's a man and one's a woman. And the two of them start taking off their green kimonos. And the two other guys that are with them are like, what are you guys doing? 
And they turn around, and they're like, oh, we're from the, uh, we're from the Sword Clown. And we've just been impersonating to get to Shang-Chi. And they kill all three of the other, like, foot soldier guys. And then they turn to Shang-Chi, and like, okay, we need you to come back and take control of the clans, because you've been selected to be the leader. And he's like, what are you talking about? This is, this is crazy. I grew up in that province. I wasn't part of any of that. And they're like, well, but you've been selected by father to be the, you, you're the guy. You have to come take over, and otherwise, Sister Hammer's gonna take over the world and destroy everything. So if you want to save everyone, you, you have to come home. And he's like, ah, oh, Sister Hammer. I haven't seen her since I was a kid. She's my first friend. And, like, the secret agent lady asks him about her, his sister. The other two are like, well, if you're not going to come, we're just going to have to go kill her ourselves. Because she has to be stopped. Like, she's out of control. And he thought, he thought she was dead. Yeah, he thought she was dead. And uh, about that time, the smoke bomb and the two of them disappear. And Shang-Chi's like, oh, great. Then we cut back to Sister Hammer, who's being reported to by one of the other foot soldiers, about failing and saying she is still alive. So she smashes that dude's head in with a hammer. And then uh, we get this cool kind of like split-page picture, where on one side he's got Shang-Chi, and he's like, I have to save my sister. And on the other side, we've got Sister Hammer, and she's like, I have to kill my brother. So it's leading to a clash of the two of them to decide who is in charge of the clan. Um, so, like, new bad guy, this particular form of these characters... So, like, Sister Hammer, this is her first appearance for this particular character being the Hammer... Um, I guess, uh, what do you, totem, I guess, as a person. But it's also the first appearance for the dude from the Sword Clan and the girl from the Knife Clan. So, like, as far as full first appearances, there's a lot of them in this. How much does that matter? I mean, since our characters are replaced as the generations go along, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, if his movie deals with her being the bad guy, it's gonna be important, I guess. And be more chasey than just a normal book. You don't think those people, you don't think it's just a re, like a retelling of his. No, this is all new. This, this is, these characters, the Sister Hammer, that's her first appearance. She's never appeared before, but the clan themselves have existed over generations. So whenever we talk about the immortal weapons, each of these different guilds have their avatar. So just like, so like Eric, like the last airbender, yeah. same idea. No, I grab it. I just, I just, I assume that since he's been around for so long that they would, they were too. Yeah, up to this point, these characters have not existed that way. And uh, for first appearances, it's hers and the two of them, the dude with the beard and the uh, and the little knife girl. It's their first appearances as well. It's actually mastered the Stickmaster's appearance too, but he dies in the first book, so... I mean, he's got like, what, eight, ten panels maybe? So, as a thing, it's full of first appearances, but they're all like heads of different groups, so... And like, bad guy-wise... So in the grand scheme of things, Fu Chu is um, Ching Chi's father. However, Fu Chu, the character, is not owned by Marvel Comics or Disney at this point. It's owned by a different by a different entity, and so we haven't seen him fight Fu Chu in a kind of a long time. And they did the whole killing the father story a ways back. So his like biggest bad guy. It was also his dad, but Marvel doesn't actually own the rights to it. So I kind of think that's why she's taking over as the uh, replacement, basically. But yeah, um, as far as like a score, I mean, I felt that was pretty good. I mean, the pieces in the story, it's very, I don't know, it, cinema-wise, I could see this in a show pretty easy because of the way the grandma acts and like how she treats him and how he plays off all of that. I give it a three. I mean, I, I liked it. I like Shang-Chi a lot, though, so score-wise, yeah, I give it a three. 
I thought it was pretty cool. And, like, Philip Tan, I think, is an awesome artist. So, uh, Mr. Josh, what do you know about the Shang-Chi? Well, I know that Aquafina is going to be playing her sister Hammer in the movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So. See, so, yeah, popularity. Like, this thing's in the second print already, and it has Mother Hammer, or Sister Hammer, on the cover of the second print. But it did get, like, I don't know, seven or eight covers, so... As a thing in the world, I don't think it's sold out everywhere, but I know that the distributor is out of everything but the second print, so... As a thing, I guess depending on what the movie does with her, it could land really well. That's crazy, it's Aquafina. And basically they're saying that Shang-Chi's dad is the Mandarin. Yeah. They don't, they don't really say that in this book, but... Well, in the comics he wasn't before. He was Fu Manchu, but they don't own Fu Manchu. They do own the Mandarin, though. So uh, connecting him that way, for especially for movie sake, since the name drop of the Mandarin's been there, and even though we got Ben Kingsley, which people are saying is the fake Mandarin, it doesn't change that namesake-wise what they own and what they don't own. Right. And using the Mandarin makes a lot of sense, actually. Since Kingsley's supposed to not be the real one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I give it a three. Uh, you know, it's it's a good intro book. Like, I'm not sure. I've never really read Shang-Chi. And right. I, you know, I remember from Agents of Atlas. But, I mean, that's really about it. Right. Like, and so I'm kind of like, and I, I read quite a bit of Agents of Atlas. But I'm like, you know, I'm, it's cool. It's a kung fu book. Like, you know, seems like Marvel has... A lot more of that than DC ever did. Like they really went into the kung fu stuff. Yeah, I mean he's been around for quite a while. But even like Iron Fist and oh sure, yeah, there's just, like there's just a lot of that stuff. Like the there's a lot more of that flavor of stuff. Is what you mean? Yeah. Well, the kung fu, kung fu movies, like right. Even even like Luke Cage, like Power Man, looks like his original costume looked like somebody who would have been in a kung fu film. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent for sure. Like that whole flavor of uh, street. Street thug type apprehension. Yeah, DC doesn't really have anything like that. Not really. I mean, we've got a few of the bat underlings that sort of deal with those kind of problems, but it's not the same thing. I mean, the closest, I guess, but but, but they're all, all costume people. But like, I mean, like, um, was it Wildcat kind of? Yeah, Wildcat and uh, the White uh, White Tiger. But even they're not horribly horribly popular. I mean, they're around. I mean, they, I mean these guys aren't. These aren't super po- they popular either. Just, no. You know, definitely C characters, ultimately, right. but... Street level, um, yeah. We'll see, like, what, I mean, where they go with the film and where they... I mean, you know, we talked about it on here a bazillion times about Guardians of the Galaxy weren't... Right. There were no... There they were, they were people to people that read comic books, but other than that, the world didn't know they existed, and now they're a giant thing. Right. So maybe Shane Chay will do the same thing, maybe. I mean... Let's see how it goes. I think it'd be really cool. I mean, like I said, I do... I do find that crazy that Takafina cast as, as Sister Hammer, but... Okay. Cool. All I really got to do is have a shaved head. Right. Well, to match this one, yeah, with the whole tattoo on her front of her head, mm-hmm. the circle. Which, I mean... The eye tattoo thing. Right. I don't necessarily think... As a thing, I'd, I'd, they could pick any of those looks and be okay with it, so I don't know. All right, man. Uh, I want to move on to the Dark Universe. Yeah, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Batman Hush... This book is uh, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, um, and it's drawn by Dexter Soy. The pencils for pages 46 and 48, and inks from pages 46 and 48 are done by different people. That's Sergio Davila and uh, Matt Santorelli. So, cool. As you, this book opens, it opens like 
the rest of them do with the the uh the same guy. Huge um, not. Yeah, talk about how he kind of keeps keeps tr- keep an eye on Earth and the multiverse and. The... He's basically like the Watcher, except it's for the multiverse. So right. things things tells for the crypt and the Watcher mixed together, kind of. And it gives you a rundown of like the original Hush story and about you know uh, Bruce's childhood friend who was like was was almost like a brother. Thomas Elliot was like a brother to him, and how he's like angry and stuff. But this one picks up a little bit differently, and uh, it t- the story happens. In that alley, there was other people in that alley. It was Thomas Elliot and his parents were there, too. And they, saw, and they saw Bruce's parents get gunned down. And so um, they took Bruce in, and instead of him going to Alfred, they went, moved in with him, and he just kind of took a dark turn, supposedly, and never quite got over his parents' deaths. Like, the you know, he never... He never had the turning point where he became a Batman. Yeah. And so flash forward to... um. Gotham now, which is Gotham, is now a city state. It's not. It's not just. It's. It's not just a city. It's like its own country. Basically, right. it's got. You know, it's got its own president and everything. And uh, yeah, Thomas Elliot is the head of of Wayne Enterprises now. Right. Which is odd. And he is with um, Talia. Talia Al Ghul, which was kind of crazy. And she's you know her and the League of Assassins have put him in. Have gotten him into a position of power as a senator, right? So very whoever they can control, if they are inside, as long as they have enough of them, they can control everything, which is pretty League of Assassins. So as you look over Gotham City, um, it shows like a like Wayne, what probably Wayne Tower of some sort, right. and it's like kind of a who's who in in, a, in Gotham. It, it shows um, Jason Todd, uh, you know, Red Hood and X Robin. Yeah, Dina or Dina Dina Drake, which is Black Canary, um, Harvey Dent, who is not Two Face, um, Oswald Cobblepot. They do not call him the um, Penguin here, but they're all kind of Gotham Gotham's finest in this speak. They they never became or you know who they were originally. Right. Well, they're all. This is like a dinner party that they're all meeting at, but like their their normal precursors don't land the same way, and like as a thing, they they never became the versions of them that we know. So the names are the same, but yeah, like two, like Harvey's not burnt up. So, right. and that so you know as uh, Thomas Elliot walks in with Talia, they you know talking about how amazing and lovely they are, and asking him if he's going to make a presidential run. He's like, oh, the president's doing a great job now. I don't need to. But then he gets a beep on his watch, and uh, he's like, I got to get out of here. And Talia's like, you need to um, figure out like you can't just be leaving all the time, like. You know, if we're gonna make you into something, he's like, she's like, you know, we made you, we can take, we can take you away. And uh, so he goes and gets on his helicopter, is like a helicopter type thing, and takes off with a security team. And you can see down below that there's a, there's this like battling in the streets with like these. They fall in almost riot style. It's, yeah, it's like a civil war down below in the streets, and uh, it shows you know, these armored police force and uh, just basically. Street peasant looking, like just you know, just like normal, normal, normal people dealing with the cops, right? Very, uh, I don't know, riot protest style. So, anyway, Thomas lands at a uh, Arkham Asylum and starts talking to Dr. Crane. He's like, Oh, we there's a death, and he's like, There's been several deaths, but this is like, and he's like, There's been more, and he's like, Yeah, but this is the big one. The other ones I didn't let you know about. He's like, Well, I want you to let me know everything's going on. I've fun this place, and Crane's like. 
just let why don't you just let me do my thing? And uh the whole time there's somebody um singing the song about the bloody bat of Gotham Town. Right. Some sort of some one sort of the of, prisoners in the cage. And it's just like somebody that it's a it's a character that has existed through since the founding of this place, which is like the predates but way back in the sixteen hundreds or something like that. And uh called Arkham's Devil. And so anyway, as they pass through there, they walk up on the body of Bruce Wayne that looks like it has gone through an autopsy. Right. And they're talking about how he never quite was himself after a while. He just didn't, he quit talking and he quit, he just was just. Became introverted to himself. Just and, be- became. Yeah, shut down. Yeah, he just, he just became nothing. Unresponsive for years. Didn't have the wit left to turn himself over even after, and he died of asphyxiation. Just like fell asleep face down and Pat, like just died that way. And uh, he's like, we'll take care of it. Um, and then, like, the doctor starts talking about keeping Wayne of vegetables. One thing that I could have taken more dis- decisive action if you'd asked and said we could have just killed him way earlier. And he's like, but by Bruce Wayne dying, you're, you're head of Wayne. Wayne, Wayne Enterprises. Wayne Enterprises now. And uh, he's like, ah, but there's something in his hand that you need to see that was never been in a cell before. And it's a ticket to Marco Zorro, which is the movie that they left the night that his parents died. Right. You don't really ever show, like, Elliot's reaction to that. But um, as the doctor's walking back down the hall, you see somebody who very, very, very much resembles the Joker. And he's like, why are you mopping the floor now? He's like, when do you want me to do this? Two in the morning? Folks think I was one of the crazies. And if you look at him, though, he is, he's like, his mouth has been, like, cut open or something. He's got, like... Oh, yeah, he's he, he's jacked up looking with a couple, like, piercings. And yeah, it's definitely Jack Napier. It's, it's definitely the... Yeah, it's definitely the Joker. And all of a sudden, pop, all the lights go black. Go black. And, uh... And everybody's like, unlock the door. The, the door's locked. I can't get out. Turn the lights back on. That pop, and it co- comes back on. The lights are red. And, uh, the doctor's face is just terror, sheer terror. And you see this thing that... It's a version of Batman, but it's like, it's mixed with what Hush kind of looked like with the, with the bandages around the face and stuff, but the eyes are glowing red and the, the bat symbol's almost bleeding to extent, like red shoulder pads and claws and. It's pretty terrifying. Pretty awesome. Yeah, he's bandaged up everywhere. All of his arms and his face. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. All the while, the, the, the same guy in the, Institution is singing, so still singing the, the song the about the bully bat, yeah, uh, yeah. So as he's flying back, he's holding the ticket in his hand. He's just he's like talking about they asked him what he, what he needed to do back at their center, and he's like, ah, I need to. I was visiting an old friend. He looks over and he sees that Batman up on the top of a building, and then all of a sudden a missile shoots down his helicopter, and it crashes and. It crashes kind of in the area where the, the fights have been going on, the battles going on. Um, and you see, it, during this time, um, Elliot, it, it, the pilot dies, but Elliot's able to get out. Get out and, right, he survives the crash. But you see Barbara Gordon, and she's like, that's Thomas Elliot Ship, one of the architects of our corrupt broken city. He's like, the one who murdered my father, the last good cop in Gotham. And then he, as you kind of pan out, you see Tim Drake, and you see Cassandra Kane, and you see... Um, some other familiar type people, maybe, if you look real close. And then all of a sudden, somebody throws a sword. It looks like maybe through Stephanie? I'm, I'm not quite sure who that... I think it might be Spoiler. 
I'm not sure. It might be Cassandra Kane. I'm not sure. But somebody th- throws a sword through her chest. And uh, it is a Dick Grayson that is very, very Court of Owls, but different universe kind of. And he's just full on embraced it. Yeah, he's 100% he's a, an owl. They call him a gray son, is what they call him. Well, yeah. But it, it's a court of Tim owls. goes, you're, you're a gray son. He's like, I'm not a gray son. I, I'm the gray son. And he's like, and knowing that, is this really a fight you want? And then uh, Tim's like, someday, definitely. And then he like he pieces out because he's not stupid. Right. And uh, he's like, we should get you out of here, Senator. And he's like, Richard, I didn't expect to see you. He's like, President Marsh sent me to look after you personally. This wasn't the only attack Attorney General Dent and GSF Captain Flass are missing. Old news clippings about the Wayne murders were found on both of their homes. Why is that? And then you know, Thomas has a scowl on his face, like, what's going on? And they, they during this whole thing, they uh, get Barbara Gordon, they arrest her, and they're, you know, they're interrogating her, and Dick is anyway, and asking about how her outsiders really stepped up their game tonight, and how they were able to plant that stuff, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she's like, oh, the Wayne murders? Makes us a lot more, likes a lot more sense. And then he like gives him the lowdown of like the thing that shot down Elliot's helicopter was a certain kind of missile from LexCorp and the only person who had access to that stuff. And it comes to find out would be uh, Jason Todd. And so. He has the type of tech that they're looking for, for the missile. Right. And so Thomas and Dick go to where Jason Todd's compound is. I'm saying that the drones have to stay outside and they're like, nah, they're not. They're coming in. And they go in there to talk to Jason and Jason's like, that's not what I didn't do that, man. I had nothing to do with that. And uh, he's like, no, but we know that there's like ordinances down below and then this and this and that. And, and, uh, all of a sudden they, they start putting lasers, like the drones, like the, with machine guns, like put all these lasers on Jason, like they're going to take him out. And then he pushes a button and like, they all, everything turns around. Like all the assassins come out and the drones like switch and put their targets on Dick and, um, Elliot. And they're like, sorry, Senator, your girl's ready for a change of scenery, talking about Taya, which she did tell him, Taya said, like, if you, you know, we can replace you. Right. And then a grenade goes through the, the window and blows up, and uh, there's, like, something wrong here, and they start, you know, firing at something, and that, the Batman, the bloody bat, right. busts through and starts taking people out, like, horribly. And uh, he's like, Dr. Elliot's like, Dr. Crane called Arkham's devil. And he's like, I thought that that's I thought that was you, Jason. He's like, now I know that it wasn't you. And he's like, but I have questions for you when this is over. Dick, oh no, Dick says, Dick says, I have questions for you after this is yeah. over, Elliot. Like, because I, I'll take care of this. And as he starts trying to take care of it, he can't take care of it. And this this thing just like takes down both Jason Todd and um, the Gray Son, right? Very handedly, and. Which is crazy. So, like, whenever we he's talking earlier and he mentions President March. So, Lincoln March is the guy who believed he was Bruce Wayne's brother. And at one point he was running for mayor in, in Gotham. But for a while we got this storyline where we found out that it's possible Bruce Wayne had a brother that was defective. And so was put away in, like, a halfway house type scenario to keep him from the public. That's who Lincoln March is. That's who the president is. And eventually he's connected to the Court of Owls as well in the regular comics. Hmm. Well, yeah, then it shows um, Elliot, like, bursting through the doors of his mansion, like, yelling for Talia and being like, I, you know, why, what now? And she's like, where have you been? He's like, Bruce Wayne died today. I'm about to fully inherit Wayne Industry. 
why choose today to kill me? And, and she's like, I leave the League of Assassins, love. I killed my own father. If I had decided to kill you, would I bother to hide it? And then she's talking about, like, how the League of Assassins are quite safe here because they're surrounded by people to protect us. And she's like, tell that to Jason Todd. And he's, she's all, what? Like, I heard him screaming as I escaped his building. Most of his League of Assassins are, were dead by then. And this was after he admitted trying to kill me tonight with your blessing. Why does Jason Todd have your protection, Talia? And she said the League of Assassins has grand plans for Gotham. Thomas, Jason has resources we find useful. The League of Assassins was not involved in any attempt on your life. So, he, you know, he was lying the whole time. So, you know, who to believe at this point. And it's like, well, I think you lost your investments tonight. And as she walks in, there's the um, assigned Mask of Zorro um, play pamphlet. And... He's like, where did you get this? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, there's only one place this could have came from. He's been inside my home. And like, who, for God's sake? He's like, he could be one of your, one of your people for all we know. And she asks, where are you going? He's like, there's only one place that thing could have come from. And I'm going to find answers. And he goes to basically Wayne Manor. And he's, he's like asking, here's something in her and it's Dick. And he's like, Richard. Like, who is he, Elliot? Why does he care so much about the Waynes? I don't know. He's like, don't lie to me. The attacks, the news clippings, whoever he is, he blames you. What's going on? He's like, how did you find me here, Richard? He's like, I've heard of President March's security, Thomas. I've had a tracker on you all night and a bug as well. So Dick's heard it and knows everything. Right. He's, I've been listening to you all night. I put a tracker on you as soon as I saw you. And they're getting ready to, like, kill each other and go for it. And all of a sudden... A hand reaches up and pulls them both through to the ground. Like, smashes through the floor to drag them in. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And sitting there in the dark, just like singing the Bloody Bat song, is Alfred. Yep. Just sort of rocking there to himself. Kind of, it's super creepy, actually. And he's like, Master Thomas, you made a mistake coming here. And the lights turn on. There's like all these people in cages. Like, Jason Todd's there. Like, he, the, all these folks he's collected. Dr. Crane, like. And some other people, too, that I can't tell in the distance but who, who they are necessarily, but he's like, it's a terrible, terrible mistake. He's like, Alfred, you did all this? He's like, me? Sir? I'm just a humble servant. I serve the Waynes, nothing more. He's like, the Waynes are dead, Alf. He's like, are, are they Master Thomas? And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness, comes uh, Bruce, and he just starts explaining everything. He's like, he's like, I've heard everything. And... Like a full-on Batman costume, and Tommy screams like a girl. It's pretty funny. Yeah, he's like, the Elliot's on that... He's like, I know that you, you killed... You had my parents killed that night, and they were supposed to kill your parents, and then you killed them a few years later. He's like... And then the you killed the cop who was getting, was tried to stop you, and how Crane laughed when I told him that you were like... You and me were like real brothers, and the, the idea that I was ever like a brother to you... Who took everything from me? And he's like, "You died. I saw your body." He's like, "You weren't my only visitor in Arkham, Tommy. Alfred was with, always with me, and so was the handyman we planted at Arkham, Jack Napier. When I was ready, Napier gave me the drugs and the autopsy scars that I used to fake my death and finally escape that place. With Alfred's help, I learned what happened to my parents years ago, and Napier got me access to people in Arkham who could help me avenge them. And it goes through a list of people that we thought that maybe." At least people. a couple more names I noticed that we recognize, but not all of them. And it's, but it's just cool because it's like it's it's kind of how Batman made himself like a perfect ultimate detective, like right. physical. Like, but it's like this one he went a different direction. He's like people like Amadeus Arkham who taught me criminal psychology and how to to fake a worsening psychosis. Disgraced spy, spy Nick Mason who taught me disguise lockpicking and all things spycraft. 
Legendary martial artist turned murderer Dolores Madigan, who showed me everything she knew about unarmed combat. Mob assassin Sal Buckets Barusco, who taught me how to kill, how, how to kill to leave a message or without leaving a trace. Casey Callahan, the noted cat burglar and escape artist who escaped federal prison more than 200 times. And Gideon Crow, the infamous Scotland Yard detective turned serial killer who taught me the art of detection, surveillance, poison, and so, so much more. And for years I've watched you and others pick at Gotham's corpse. Time to scatter the vultures now. He's like, we can do this together, Bruce. He's, he's like, I'm powerful. I can, we can make real change. He's like, League, League of Assassins will start today. We can. He's like, day, Tommy? I've forgotten what that is. You will too. And then it just goes, pans out and it shows Tim fighting the GSF, which is the Gotham something. And they're like, Fighting for justice for Jim. And this talks, starts talking about all the disappearances of everybody, like Jason Todd. And, and how Alfred Pennyworth is like, because he, he's the only person left, he's the one that inherited the, the billions of the Wayne. Yeah, because with, with Tommy, gone. so after the parents adopted Bruce, or took Bruce in, and then Tommy k killed his parents, put Bruce in the mental institution, had Crane poison him, the only person left that's connected to any of the families is Alfred, with Tommy dead. Well, everything would fall to the adopted brother, Bruce. And with Bruce dead, everything he left, he left to Alfred. So, like, by happen by happenstance, trickling down the man the, the direction of the way it works in the regular books, yeah, Alfred winds up with all the money, but Bruce is a crazy cave with prisoners on the bottom, and the Joker's, like, their janitor. It's crazy. And the last scene it shows, like, Bruce over Dick's body, and he's just like, and then the, the guy to the telling story, he's just like, you know, there's not very many universes where Bruce Wayne doesn't become a version of, of, of the Batman. And, and this one without the guidance of Jim, the friendship of Jim Gordon, and, you know, the, like, blah, 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 that it. All, his, all the help of the Robins, and. He goes a different way, and it's, it's pretty cool, it's pretty dark, it's one of my, you know, I've been excited for any time one of these comes out. I've been stoked. And some of them I've been let down a little bit, but this one I liked a lot. It was really cool. Like, overall, I give it, like, I don't know, I give it, like, a four and four two five. Like, it, it was just cool. It was kind of interesting. Like, I think some of the names they threw in there were just, like, maybe shout-outs to, like, people who work at DCU or something like that or friends. At least or, one of them, I think, is. Cause I, we, we did some digging. I did some on the others, too, and not all of them. Nothing turned up for all of them. Right. You know, but be interesting to see what the internet picks it up, I'm sure, here. Because this thing comes out this week. Or came out this week. So I'm sure that at some point we'll see a list on the internet of things for it. But but yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. And like the whole idea of, of Tommy... So like the murder of, the, of his parents... Tommy hired the guy to kill his parents. And by happenstance, they killed the Waynes. And so that screwed up his plan. And then it just got worse. So like he's always been a bad kid. Like in either universe. Right. Jerk questionable jerk and like all the peppering of the different pieces like especially after he thought Bruce was dead so it's almost like a reverse hush because a normal hush Tommy makes it look like he's gone so like yeah it was pretty cool like Tempest Fugionaut basically being a Crypt Keeper I think is great like it's it's awesome um like score wise I don't know I give it a four and a half man like it's pretty good it's an interesting twist on that story and like I mean, like you said, the whole reverse version of him becoming basically the Batman anyway, but using 
the elements around him, all the crooks and scoundrels and schemers, and the way everybody played out different. I mean, it's cool seeing the idea of Dick Grayson basically becoming a Talon. Granted, they call him the Grace Sons, but it's still basically a Talon. And, like, how everybody else would have unfolded. I mean, Tim still turns out to be a good kid. Barbara still turns out to be Barbara. Uh, Stephanie and Black Bat all still turn out to be basically who they are. And, like, Jason becomes a League of Assassins leader. Alright, okay, that makes sense. So it's, a, it's an interesting spin on things if Bruce wasn't there, how these other characters would have played out. Because, like, Grayson had Bruce not interceded based on U-52 history... He would have become a Talon for sure. And he's pretty dangerous, so... It was kind of cool seeing that. It was, it was neat. Yeah, I give it a four and a half. I mean, I thought the art was really good. I thought the story was, pretty, was definitely cool. But yeah, they've got a couple more of the Dark Universe books come out this year. Um, One of them is uh, next Crisis. Flashpoint. And yeah, Flashpoint's the next one. And I think Crisis is the one after that. And the, the fourth one is uh, like one, it was with Wonder Woman's story. I don't remember what it, one it was, but it had to do with the gods rebelling against humans, and I don't remember the title of it, though. Anyway, but yeah, so there's four in this run, and yeah, the next one is Flashpoint, so that should be really cool to see. But yeah, score-wise, I give it four and a half. I thought it was cool. Um, uh, what'd you learn today, Josh? I might like this version of Batman better. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, he is definitely scary a different way. I like that whole the, the dude in the in the uh, in Arkham singing the, the nursery rhyme. I tried to read it in a cadence, and I don't think it has one. So someone should get on that, making it a song. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to find a tune to fit it. I, mean, I know there's one there, but it's I, I don't know if it's you know. It's gotta be a nursery rhyme one, but I couldn't make one match right. No, I, I think it's like an old Irish like like folk song type thing. Ah, kind of. That's how I took it. Sure. Well, the guy first singing it fits that persuasion, so... But yeah, even when Alfred's singing it, I, there must be a cadence in there somewhere, but I, I couldn't find it. It'd be funny if someone turned that into a song. What did I learn today, Josh? You can't say Asian names very good. I mean, I already knew that. Oh. I didn't know you knew That's you asked me what you learned. That's why <laughs> I said that you learned. Oh, you should know that for doing this show. Depends, depends on what name it is. But yeah, that's true. Especially when they have a lot of consonants next to each other. It's pretty normal. Like, what's this? And I'm like, John. And you're like... No. Billy? Billy? <laughs> That's not true. That's not true at all. There's like 8 million ways to spell Jeff. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Yeah, it's true. So, there's that. I would have gone with that. I learned Captain Kirk's brother's full name. That's weird. Nah, yeah. You, t- you, you took it a lot more serious than I did. Yeah. It was interesting. Because he read, he's like, my brother. I was like, oh, it's his brother. <laughs> he's like, he has a brother? I was like, yeah, he says yeah, it right there. There you go. <laughs> so you got any books to watch, Josh? Yeah, I guess like the Dark Multiverse Flashpoint would be interesting to see where that goes, because that's already kind of wonky and weird and crazy, Flashpoint in general, with like with oh, yeah. Thomas Wayne being Batman. Right. It'd be interesting what the difference is on that thing, like yeah. How, yeah. how different it is. I mean, this one was cool that they just, you know, switched... Elliot and Bruce, like, sw- kind of swapped them-ish, kind of different roles, but, I mean, but they're still kind of, I don't know, it was interesting, like, I like this one a lot, um, but we'll see. Sure. Um, what other books to try to watch for? I mean, 
as far as like new characters appearances, I mean Captain Marvel's been putting new characters in her books like every other book now, so they figured out Donna Kate's path, but as far as a thing, I mean issue twenty three has two new characters, issue twenty two I think had two new characters, so I mean that's wild. Uh as far as uh other things read wise, the uh metal of course has been is still crazy, it's good. The uh Robin King issue was pretty crazy also. Uh it's it's also good. As far as other books, um like Readwise, Image Comics of course has uh crossover that's coming out this week well, it came out this week. Um by Donna Cates. It's freaking great. I've talked about it on multiple episodes, so you should check that out. It's fantastic. Uh then we have the Homesick Pilots, which uh, I know I mentioned that one last week too. Um or Homes yeah, Homesick Pilots is the name of the book. And, like, I don't remember what I said about it before. It's set in the 80s, and we've got a a group of kids from the high school that are a band. The name of their band is the Homesick Pilots, because they're all kids that got orphaned or live in an uh, orphanage-type situation, halfway house style. One of them gets mixed up with a haunted house, and from there, the house sort of gets driven around like a mech suit, probably around issue... Th- well, issue three has got to be where it happens, because I've read one, too, um, through early release information, so... And it's it's cool. Like, it's it's got some interesting stuff in it. Uh, I dig that thing a lot. I think it's awesome. So, I mean, I'll give you those guys. We'll see. The new lists came out, um... maybe last week, so hopefully next week we'll have something new to look for. But yeah, book-wise, I think all those are cool. If you're trying to chase things, um, you're a little late to try to chase Moon, Moon Knight first appearances, but uh, if you're going to, you should probably get on it, because... They keep dropping information about that show, so that's only going to make it more chasey. Other than that, um, as far as uh, following social media, if you uh, like any stuff we do, like and subscribe, leave comments. Uh, it definitely helps a lot. So iTunes, if you want to leave a comment, that'd be great. Um, Stitcher, wherever you listen, is fine. Uh, you can also find our other shows if you go to the top5comicspodcast.com. There's links in there for our other podcast, Never Been Done Podcast. Um, our buddy's uh, Hot Sauce Review show, Scovillionaires. It's a YouTube Hot Sauce Review thing. Uh, Action Figure Deconstruction, which is the uh, YouTube show that me and Josh do with action figures. And then uh, Ant-Man 2050, video game walkthroughs and gameplay stuff. So if uh, you want to check out any of the other stuff we do, there's that stuff. Which, of course, new followers and subscriptions and all that stuff is definitely a bonus. Uh, if you want to find Josh on Instagram, you can find him at uh, Wendell24, W-I-N-D-L-E-2-4. And uh, you can look for me at Top5ComicsCBS on Instagram. And uh, you can find the podcast on Instagram as well, Top5ComicsPodcast. It's mostly pictures of the episode, so. But it could use more followers, because it always needs more followers, right? Right. More the merrier, bigger the boat. And if you like this, and... You're listening to it, then tell your friends about it. Cause that's the best thing. Cause most of the time, your friends, if you like something, your friends will probably like it too. Hopefully. So. Otherwise, why are your friends? And if, like, if anything, just at least subscribe to it. Like, if you have an iPhone, or sure. if you have Spotify, if you just by subscribing to it, it gets us like more recognition, more followers, the better. And then, you know, if you are following it, you can rate it and write a review too. A lot of ones just ratings are just fine, but on Apple for some reason the review is even more important. So like if you can like rate it and review it, and there's not a ton of comic book sh- like 
even in this day and age when like a ton of celebrities are doing everything now because they're bored. So they're just like taking the, this used to be like the small man's thing, but this, all the celebrities are taking it. So let's just try and take it back. Sure. Uh, anything else, Josh? Ski? Tommy.